0: Father, we praise you that you and your sovereignty promise that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. I cling to the promise of your word that nothing can separate us from your love. Father, so, we thank you that we can rest in the confidence of knowing that even when we can't see you, even if feels like you're not near, that you don't see us that you miss nothing that you see us and you know us and you've loved us, you've loved us so much that you've given us your son, Jesus Christ that we could be freed from our rebellious pursuits we could be freed from our religious pride, we can be freed from any notion of feeling like we have to work our way to you, you have done the work for us So, Lord, this morning I ask that you would help us to rest in the perfect and finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ. To give us rest from our labor, to give us rest from our weary efforts to prove ourselves to you. We bring nothing to you except our brokenness, except our sin. And we praise you that you, as a loving Father with ours, wide open invite us in. So, Father, we ask this morning as we open the word that old things would fall on our hearts in fresh new ways. That you would, at the beginning of this new year, stir us up. Give us a zeal and a fervor, a passion and energy for your name and for your glory. Stir us up in this place and in this room this morning, Lord. And send us out on mission for your name and for your glory. Holy Spirit, have your way in. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You can go ahead and have a seat. As you find on your seats on Vitamin Eternity Community, in the Bible Psalm 126, is where we're going to go this morning. If you're here today, is our guest, my name is Taylor, Sir Cross is lead pastor, and we're honored to have you here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I'm not normally this short on a Sunday morning, but if you didn't uh, catch some of the fumes in there uh, today, these floors were just finished this week, and so we weren't able uh, to set up some of the staging and things we normally do. So I'm actually much taller in real life, um, and hopefully, a bit of improvements. Uh, next week when we come. It's so good to see you. Hope you enjoyed a wonderful Christmas week and enjoyed bringing in uh, the new year, and I'm excited for us to uh, now begin our fourth full year together as a church family. It's difficult for us to believe, and we want to just begin this morning uh, by anchoring ourselves to the foundation of the Word of God uh, as it calls us specifically to pray. Well, uh, as we begin our time together this morning, I want to just start with a question and let you contemplate this for for just a moment. How does God bring about revival and awakening among his people? When he does this work, what does it look like? And how would we go about describing what it means for God to revive and awaken his people? Let me share two brief stories as we begin our time together this morning. As his global ministry was exploding during the 1950s, Billy Graham felt burdened to visit Australia. So in 1959, he held a three-month crusade that took him across the entire continent and New Zealand. And by the end of the three-month trip, more than three million people, which was at the time one-third of the nation's entire population, one-third had attended in person one of his events. And over half of the country, through broadcast, heard the message of the gospel. Across these three months, over 140,000 people made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. 140,000 people in a 90-day period. Now, 60 years later, if you go to Australia, you will still find uh, living uh, and alive today and still remembering what God did there in the past, a group that affectionately refers to themselves as the 59ers uh, because they were those who came to know Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham under his preaching in 1959. And that movement began, ignited an awakening that has continued even to this day in the lives of many Australian believers. So that's the first picture, and here's the second. In the late 1700s, a young and newly ordained Baptist minister named William Carey felt burdened to take the gospel to the nations, but he was dismissed and ignored by older ministers who... Uh, were around him, but in 1792 he organized a missionary society. And during his first sermon, he exhorted those listening with the famous words, "Expect great things from God, and attempt great things for God." Less than 12 months later, William Carey set sail for India with his wife and three children. And for the first several years, they battled poverty, illness, uh, depression, and loneliness. Carey himself contracted malaria. And when his five-year-old son, Peter, died of dysentery, his wife became mentally ill and began to suffer from delusions that often drove her to threaten his life. But over the next few years, things began to significantly turn. His missionary support began to stabilize. He was joined by a few other missionaries on the field. He took a position teaching at a college in Calcutta. And 18 years, after seven years of hard labor and suffering for the struggle of the gospel to advance, William Carey baptized his very first convert to Jesus Christ. and the end of his story is what we most remember today. His book, uh, An Inquiry to the Obligation of Christians, is one of the most important books in all of church history. He would eventually go on to, uh, as a missionary to India, though his ministry would only account for about 700 converts in his lifetime. The team he worked with worked to translate the Bible into 34 Asian languages. They established 19 mission stations, nearly 100 schools that encouraged the education of girls. He made many contributions to Indian literature. He served as the founder of a college in India, which was the first degree awarding the university in the country. And his example would, even till today, continue to stir the hearts and minds of tens of thousands of other missionaries who devoted themselves to advancing the message of the gospel to the nations and fulfilling the Great Commission to the ends of the earth. And he's known to us today as the father of modern missions. So, two very different stories. One just cataclysmic movement that took place across three months, where over 140,000 people in one fell swoop come to faith in Jesus Christ, and another man and his family who suffer and struggle for seven years before they see even one person come to faith in Jesus. But ultimately, the result in many ways looking the same. And I still want to ask the question this morning for you to contemplate: So, what does it look like for God to bring revival? and awakening those people. That's the question we're going to answer over these few minutes here this morning. So so here's what's going to happen today. Within our church family, it's been our approach the last few years. We've felt burdened to... Uh, primarily give our first Sunday of the year to the focus of praying together uh, corporately as a church family. So uh, so our conviction is that we, we devote the first gathering of the year primarily to that work. So what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to spend a few moments here in Psalm 126. I'm going to share a couple of reflections and challenges for us as a church family, and then we're going to close this time together uh, with an extended period of prayer and intercession, repentance and lament as we plead for God to move in our lives and the lives of our church, our families, our city, our nation, and our world. Because here's what's becoming more and more evident to me with each passing year. Culturally, we are becoming more isolated and individualistic. We are falling more and more in love with the idols of comfort and convenience. Thank you, Amazon Prime. We are increasingly marked by a nominal, half-hearted commitment to the church and the cause of Christ. and church, I fear at times that we have actually created a brand of Christianity so foreign to what we find in the pages of Scripture that very few of us would ever even begin to consider that God may be calling one of us to take a William Carey-like risk for the cause of Christ. That we may even have a brand of Christianity in our culture, and God help us, that could be born even within our own church, that if we are not careful, will actually work against us in fulfilling the Great Commission to the ends of the earth. So uh, back in November into most of the month of December, the Lord had really just prompted me uh, to to, uh, start a a fast. And so that's something I I did personally for about 40 days. And I tried a digital detox for a while and just sort of disconnect from from a lot of uh, normal busyness and and demands. And and something that the Lord really just revealed to me and burdened me for uh, during that season was how unburdened I am for a lot of the brokenness and lostness of our world. And how quickly my mind is is captivated by just completely frivolous things that are going to be absolutely meaningless in the grand scope of eternity. And the Lord has really just prompted me in my own life, and I, I felt called just to challenge our church family that we be people who we can't just magically become burdened, but we we should be burdened if we're not burdened. That should be the burden to us. That should be the burden that we're not broken if we're not broken. So what what we want to do this morning is. Look here at Psalm 126 and and what promise we can cling to when we as a people embrace the burden of brokenness in our world and we begin to plead to God to intervene with his help. So let's read together Psalm 126. We'll read all six verses. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, the specific circumstances that are are really described here in this psalm aren't given to us in any kind of explicit detail, but here is the bottom line of what's happening here in Psalm 126, is the people of God are eager and hungry for the Lord to do a work in their day that He had done in generations past. So how do they begin their prayer for revival and awakening in the present? It's by recalling what he has done in his faithfulness in the past. So as we pray for God to revive, as we pray for God to move, as we pray for God to awaken, we see first from this passage that his past faithfulness is our present comfort. This psalm was intended to be a a corporate prayer together of God's people. What's happening here is the people of God have come together and they're remembering a time when things were going really well. So all throughout the nation of Israel, throughout their history, you can see throughout the pages of the Old Testament, they experienced these times of just tremendous economic and spiritual growth and, and prosperity, so much to the point that it made them the envy of the nations around them. That even neighboring unbelieving nations would look at them and they couldn't help but say, the Lord has done great things for us. And so for all of us as followers of Christ, we have to be continually reminding ourselves of what God has done for us. Because if there's one place you and I are probably most consistently failing, it's in our failure to remember. We are, because of our sin, a forgetful people. We forget all that God has done for us, namely saving us from our sins. As the most critical foundational work, it's so easy for us to take our salvation for granted. It's so easy for us to take this for granted. And here's why I think that is for us today in Western culture, because it is not our natural tendency to boast in what other people have done for us. This is not our natural tendency. We have no problem whatsoever boasting in our achievements. We have no problem talking about our accolades, our awards, our accomplishments. But we struggle to boast in our salvation because salvation is the ultimate handout. And we don't like handouts. we're people who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And we like to boast about what we've done, what we've accomplished, what we have achieved. And we don't tend to brag about things that we didn't earn. Things that we didn't achieve, things that we didn't work for. We tend to be most vocal about the things we gain on our own. So this is a struggle for us. Because when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our need to to find eternal life in Jesus Christ, there's absolutely nothing that we can do on our own to work for this or to earn this. I always love the words of Martin Luther when he was once asked what he contributed to his salvation. He responded like this, sin and resistance. He's like, that's what I brought to the table. And that's the reality for for all of us. That is all that we bring to the table when it comes to our salvation. We bring our brokenness, we bring our sin, we bring our baggage, we bring our bondage to sin, and Jesus does all the rest. And we can take credit for none of this. That's what you and I bring to the table. When people of God hear in Psalm 126, when they recall the Lord's provision and restoration, verse 1 says that they were like those who dreamed. The, the, the way that that really translates best is to say that these people, when they were called the faithfulness of God in their lives, when they were called their salvation, when they were called God's provision and grace and mercy on their lives, they were beside themselves. That they could not contain the joy that they had. They could hardly even begin to believe all that God has done for them. I don't about you, but I've got so many moments in my own life, if I'm just being completely honest, when I, I look in the mirror and I ask the Lord to really search my heart and I become aware of my sin, of my shortcomings, of my struggles, my flesh, I've had a lot of moments where I've looked at the Lord in prayer and I've just asked Him, how in the world have you not given up on me yet? Because I would have given up on me a long time ago. We've got limits to what we're willing to forgive. We've got limits to how many times we're willing to let people do us wrong. And yet here we get to be in another new year that this year, the next days, so we get 366 days where the Lord's mercy is still going to be new with every single one, which is really good news because you and I are need it every day. And when we recall the goodness of the Lord in our lives, the faithfulness of God in our lives, when, they, when the people recall this in Psalm 126, they can't contain their joy. We can never forget where we came from, church. We can never forget who we are or who we were apart from Jesus Christ. This is how Paul shares the reality of our condition from Ephesians chapter 2. He reminds us you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Dead. Not doing mostly okay, having a good life, and Jesus kind of came and made it better. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. Rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, and by grace we been saved. This is the good news of what God's done for us. We go back to verse two in Psalm one twenty-six. What the people most eagerly desired here is the experience of joy. They one experience of joy that they say then during those times, during his provision, our, our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of of joy. Every single one of us as followers of Jesus, both both individually and collectively as a church family, we're going to fight through seasons where joy in Jesus feels absolutely impossible. When William Carey was struggling to see the gospel make any sort of progress in India, he once wrote, I am in a strange land, no Christian friends, a large family, and nothing to supply their wants. This is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me. And I just wonder how many of us in this room this morning as we come into a new, a new year that either because of our sin or because of our circumstances, because of personal suffering, how many of us walk in here today in the middle of our own personal valley of the shadow of death? And how many of us in here this morning Beyond any other goal we could set in 2020, beyond any, any other resolution that we could possibly make, beyond any other experience that we could possibly want. How many of us want, just at the deepest core of our being, nothing more than once again to find joy in Jesus Christ and to find our total happiness and satisfaction in Him? How many of us this morning come in here, we go into a new year, and we want nothing more than to get off of the hamster wheel of religious performance and take Jesus up on his offer and accept his invitation to lie down in green pastures where he restores our souls. Our primary joy is not going to be found in who we are or anything that we do. It's going to be found in him and what he's done. The Lord grace me with, with one of these experiences of joy on Christmas Eve a couple weeks back. So how many of you were here with us on, on Christmas Eve a couple weeks ago? It was, a, it, was a, it was a great night together. And so we were so excited about this night because we'd never uh, as a church family been able to have a Christmas Eve service like Christmas Eve evening. We had one in the morning uh, during our first year together as a church family, and so we were so excited about this. and and that first service in particular, I, I couldn't see much because it was dark in here and that light was blinding me in the back. And but one thing, I, two things I pretty much remember uh, of that service is it was like really hot in here because uh, it's Christmas in the south. and, and a lot of that's because this room was like packed wall to wall with with people, I think close to four hundred people just packed into this room uh, for that first Christmas Eve service. and I, I just couldn't help, as I was standing even preaching for for those services that night just to to kind of just laugh internally because, three years ago, Christmas Eve in 2016, what was, what was happening uh, a few years just prior to that is that Cross Community Church celebrated Christmas Eve in somebody's living room. And, and it was just one of those moments, I just, I just couldn't help but be like, Lord, what have you done here? Because I'm an idiot, like I couldn't do this on my own. I'm like, what in the world have you done here? And he's absolutely blown away and it's See the faces of many people who were in that living room a few years ago and just wanted to just stop the message and look at it and be like, can you guys believe this? Is this not amazing what the Lord has done for us and the provision that he's shown us? And, and how was just surrounded us with people who love his name and love his church is building his kingdom in this community. It was just so exciting. But even, even beyond those big experiences of recalling his, his provision and his faithfulness, When we need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God in our lives, we need look no further than our own salvation. If that is the only thing that God ever did for us, it would have been enough. It saved us for all eternity. And so when we, we center ourselves on that reality, we're reminded of who He is and what He's done for us, we can't help but explode with joy. Because apart from all of those those other experiences that we may desire and want, there's no greater joy than knowing that we are known and loved by God. None. So let his faithfulness to you in the past be your present comfort for today. And my hope is that our response to those memories would be, as we see here in verse 3, that the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Let's read verses 4 through 6. Psalmist writes, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out reaping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So we see that his past faithfulness is our present comfort. And secondly, we see that our present struggle will yield future joy. We get to cling to this promise that even in the midst of our struggle in asking him and pleading with him to come to us, that that is promise to be met with future joy. So uh, the Negev was a really dry and barren land It was located in the southern region of Judah. And what the psalmist is envisioning here is a time when the dry valleys and the ravines would be filled with overflowing streams from a downpour of rain that would lead to a fruitful year of crop growth. And harvesting, and, and when we look back all through church history, that's how God moves. Sometimes that—that's the Billy Graham Crusade of 1959 in Australia. Millions hear the gospel. Hundreds of thousands of people respond to the gospel, and it leaves a lasting impact that continues to transform for generations. So sometimes. The overwhelming presence of God visits his people and comes above them like clouds that are pregnant from rain and it saturates every inch of the land leaving absolutely no doubt that God has been among and visited his place. But then there's another type of revival. And it's not one where the Lord saturates the ground through clouds of rain, but one where the ground is slowly and painfully watered by the tears of his people. This is William Carey. It doesn't all come at once. There is no mountaintop experience. For a while, it's impossible to see. But through faithful, rugged persistence, the result is still the same for those who reap in, or those who those sow in tears. And it's the in shouts of joy. We get to cling to this promise. Jesus makes this connection in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus says, look at the world. Scripture tells us that as Jesus, as he was doing ministries, he saw the crowds He he, he had compassion for them. His heart was grieved for them because he he says they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He was driven for them. He had the desire to to see them come to know him. So he tells his disciples right before he sends them out on a little short-term mission in Luke 10, he says, the harvest is plentiful. Here's the problem. The laborers are few. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. According to Jesus... The problem we have today is not a lack of harvest, it's a lack of harvesters. Those who are willing to go out into the harvest. And so what does he instruct us to do? He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly. Literal translation here, beg beg the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest, plead for him to rend the heavens and tear them open and pour out his Holy Spirit on our world in an act 2 kind of way where 3,000 people come to know Christ in a single day. But until that moment, sow tears. Sow tears of thanksgiving. Sow tears of repentance and intercession in the spiritual dry ground of our land, and cling to the promise that our tears will turn to joy. But church, make no mistake this morning, God will not revive and awaken a prayerless people. He won't do it. He's never done it at any point in time through scripture, any point in time through history. God will not revive and awaken a prayerless people. So I want you to to please hear me now and hear me very, very clearly. At the beginning of this year as we go into an election year, you will not vote revival into office on Tuesday, November 3rd. You won't do it. And let me tell you a tragedy that's going to occur in the lives of millions of professing Christians in the United States this year. There are going to be many who will fight to the nail to get a candidate elected, and you will not shed one single tear over a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. And that's a tragedy. There's going to be many who will work as hard as they possibly can to tear political leaders down and ignore our biblical mandate as followers of Christ To pray for those in leadership, regardless of how we differ. Just to put that back in its context of the first century, when Peter and Paul and others instructed the believers to pray for those in authority, they were being instructed to pray for people who were killing them. So let's let's not get wrapped up in the thinking, well, times have changed. Jesus wouldn't really pray for this person. We prayed for you, didn't he? He prayed for me. He calls us, he invites us into this. And so many followers of Christ up here, we completely betray our witness and we reveal the true God that we worship by the way we do or do not pray for those in leadership. That's a tragedy. Many will get online and argue point and counterpoint ad nauseum with complete strangers but never one time share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Christ. And that's a tragedy. All of these things are tragedies. Now listen, the, the, the two are not always mutually exclusive. My, my conviction as a follower of Jesus, we should be engaged in the process. We, we should, we should to the, the best of our ability, vote according to what we find in God's word. But for character uh, and for policy, these two are not always mutually exclusive. But me out this morning, we cannot as a people always be settling for political solutions to spiritual problems. We will not vote revival into office. The fallow ground of a spiritually dry land is only going to be watered through the tears of the people of God as we play, plead for him to send the rain. That's what he calls us to do. This is our answer. God in his sovereignty has willed that he bring about spiritual awakening and revival through the prayers of his saints. And there are moments when it's going to feel like that work is fruitless and barren, but there will be great future joy for our present struggle. As William Carey suffered along his journey, he described his time in the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't suffer without hope. He wrote, this is indeed the valley of the shadow of death for me. But here's what he said. But I rejoice that I am here notwithstanding, and God is with me. It was enough for him. I have God, and his word is sure. And, And by God's grace... That's the place that we want to start together as a church family as we begin this year. So again, now entering our fourth full year together as a church family, and, and this year but we just sense the Lord leading us as a church family just to truly center ourselves once again uh, down to the basics. We've got a lot of exciting things, Lord willing, that are going to happen within our church family this year. It is looking more and more like uh, this year we will probably break ground somewhere in this community on a permanent home, and that's exciting. But that's exciting. Ask our load-in team. That's exciting. <laughs> people who set this room and break it down every week. Lord willing over the next couple of weeks. We've got our, our student ministry search team. We'll meet on Tuesday night. They've got a few candidates that they are announced. We'll be hiring a student minister full-time here. Uh, Lord are willing over the next uh, couple of, of months. We've, we've got lots of exciting new rhythms that we're developing together as a church family. But it, it does us absolutely no good to be a people who are busy for God if we don't understand what it truly means to be with God. To become so busy doing church that we neglect our primary responsibility of being church. And so, in the midst of all these exciting new things this year, we've just felt burdened by the Lord to just, as a church family, once again, a lot of ways return to some of the basics. And so, uh, there's a few primary ways that we just want to continually throughout the year emphasize uh, what we believe the Lord is calling us to do in 2020. So, here's just a few snapshots that I want to give us. First, we are called to pray. Now, this is true every single year, right? I and mean, we could in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, come up with this resolution with every single new year. But particularly this year, we have just felt burdened and impressed uh, to stress that we be in a church family that prays. So uh, back in the fall, we had our very first. Uh, corporate gathering here for prayer uh, on Saturday night. It was really just a sweet, intimate night. About 50 of us came together. We spent about three hours in pr- uh, prayer individually and small groups of each other corporately together uh, as the church body. We worshiped together. We took communion together. It was, a, it was a great night. We really just felt burdened to do that quarterly uh, as a church family in 2020. So I just I want to challenge you to go ahead and mark your calendars for Saturday, January 25th. We'll be in here at 7 o'clock that evening. Again, we, we were here for, for a while last time. You could come a little bit later if you needed to, go early if you need to, but um, I, I said something in a sermon back in the fall that I, I'm just going to double down on and reiterate this morning. I, I cannot tell you guys the last time I paid attention to what our, our attendance is on a Sunday morning. I mean, just the the older I get, the longer I do this, the less I give a rip about that. What I really care about is how many of us are gathering together to pray. And so I want to challenge every single one of us to make that a priority, to let the health of our church be more important than the growth of our church. And our church is only as healthy as we are praying. That's going to be the true measure of health in our church. We want to be doing what the Lord instructed the prophet Joel to do in Joel chapter 1, As he called the nation of Israel to repentance, Joel 1, the Lord speaks through him. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. We want that to be our aim this year. Four times we'll gather together for for these assemblies. We'll pray, cry out to the Lord. But beyond that, I want to just challenge you as an individual. I want to challenge you as families. I want to challenge husbands and wives and parents with children. I want to challenge community groups. When your community group gets together, that would be the, the number one priority of group. group. I know sometimes, I mean, I've led these groups before, you get in, we're having dinner, we're talking, we have good Bible study time, and then suddenly we look at the watch, and, and we're 10 minutes over, it's like, hey, somebody pray real quick so we can go, right? And, and so we, we want to make sure we, we resist that. We start in prayer. We're very intentional about how we pray for each other. We're praying for our church family, we're praying for our community, praying for what's happening in the world uh, around us, making this a priority uh, in every single thing that we do. So we are called to pray. Secondly, we are called to the Word. Throughout December, we challenged you to commit to reading through the Bible together in in 2020. And as of this morning, uh, over 260 people are signed up to accept the challenge to try and read through the Bible together uh, this year. So um, we're only a few days into this, so if you, you didn't Jump on board of that. There's still time for you to do this. Uh, uh, this has gone out via email a couple times, or um, you could use your next steps card this morning on your prayer request. Just write Bible reading challenge. Give us your name, email address, and you'll get all the information about that. But but we just want to see what happens when we, as a family, when we as, as a church, we we'll just commit ourselves to the day in, day out, faithfully submitting ourselves to the Word of God, and, and just just seeing what God does with us as we sow in the tears. Uh, of, of of being every single day uh, in in His Word. So one of the ways we mark spiritual maturity is is that we like any sort of maturity is is that we start to embrace things and we start to do things even if we're not necessarily feeling them in, in the moment. And, and, and if I'm, I'm just going to be real with you, I just want to be as, as honest as I possibly can up front. I think sometimes we commit to something like reading through the Bible and we just, we just expect like every single morning we're going to wake up and we're going to open it up and we got the coffee. And like as soon as this, this, this page is open, like, all, I mean, the angels are going to come down and like we're, you know, Chris Tomlin's going to appear out of nowhere and start singing worship songs and, and we're going to float around. We're just going to know the whole thing. And, and then, and then like, so like you're on our Bible reading plan right now, then you read Chronicles. And you're like, whoa, what's with all these names? What we need to know all this for? And it's, it's really, really easy to, to just get in this mentality. It's like, hey, I'm not really feeling this. I don't know if this is really doing much for me. How important is this really? But one of the ways we measure maturity is that we will submit ourselves to doing things even if we don't fully see or feel like doing them in, in the moment. We'll give you an example of a, like a high school student who gets their first job. So um, they've they got to be at work on a Saturday morning at like 6 in the morning. but on a Friday night and sit out with friends till, till midnight, 1 in the morning. Now, a few different options here, right? They could not show up to work, not the preferable option. Uh, Or maybe they they call for like, hey man, I was out late last night, like I I need you to come in and work for me. Or, after going to bed at 2 in the morning, they wake up at 5.30, they throw down a monster energy drink or a cup of coffee or something, and they show up and they go to work. You know what we call that? Maturity. Same thing for us as followers of Jesus. Listen, friends, understand, your feelings will betray you. Satan loves to work through our feelings. I, I, we should never totally disconnect our faith from our feelings. That's, that's unhealthy to go to either extreme. But scripture is abundantly clear. Our hearts are wicked and deceptive. And if we are only going to be in God's word when we feel like it, only going to be in prayer when we feel like it, that's going to stifle our spiritual growth and maturity. So I just want to challenge all of us this year by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is to come before Him and say, we want to submit ourselves to Your Word. It's understanding. It's so much more important. It's not just about getting through the Bible. It's about letting the Bible get through you. So if you you start into this and it takes you 18 months instead of 12, that's fine. If it takes you three years instead of one, that's fine. The point is, being with Jesus, and we're with Him through His Word, we're called to His Word. But uh, beyond this, just... Uh, In terms of what we'll be doing on Sunday mornings, beginning next week for six weeks, we're going to be studying the Great Commission for Matthew chapter 28. And then uh, beyond that, as we talk about this being uh, founded on the basics this year, Dustin will keep leading us each Sunday through different portions of the New City Catechism as he did today, Uh, Lord willing, through the spring, after our series on the Great Commission, we're just actually going to teach through our doctrinal statements uh, one point at a time every single week, just understanding uh, what do we believe as followers of Christ? Why do we believe this? Uh, why is that important? does it, affect uh, the way that we live our lives? Doctrine is the fuel that feeds the fire of our lives. So it's not just about what we know in our heads. It's about what we believe in our hearts, about what we're doing with our hands. So we're called to pray. We're called to the word. And third, we are called to go. We're called to go. Every single one of us, as followers of Christ, we have been commissioned and commanded to advance the message of the gospel at home and abroad. And so all throughout this year, not just through the Great Commission series, but even beyond, all throughout this year, we are going to have a relentless focus on becoming a people who learn what it means to take the gospel to our Jerusalem, which is right here in Buford, to Judea, broader throughout the state, to Samaria, and more throughout our country, and then for some even to the ends of the earth. And being a people who submit ourselves to the authority of God's word, as he calls us, to take the gospel to the nation. This is what I believe with all of my heart. I believe with all of my heart that from within our church family, the Lord is going to raise up some people who, hopefully not too far down the road, we are going to have the privilege of standing in here and sending out to the nations. And my, my hope this morning is that regardless of where you're at in that conversation, regardless of whether you're going to be a person who lives here in Beaufort, South Carolina for the rest of your life, you're going to be someone who goes to the deepest, darkest jungles of, of Southeast Asia that doesn't make us super-Christians or lesser-Christians. That's just where the Lord has pointed us. My, my, my hope is that regardless of where you are in that, that every single one of us would be people who say, I want to leverage everything God has given me to advance His name and His glory. I want to leverage my life, I want to leverage my family, I want to leverage my home, I want to leverage my job, I want to leverage my education, I want to leverage my financial resources. I want to do what that first question of the catechism responded to this morning by saying we are not our own but belong to God. I only am who I am because of who God has created me to be and because of what he's given me to do. We're called to pray, we're called to the word, and we're called to go. So let's get stirred up with this. What's going to stir us up to be a people who embrace our calling? Uh, for Christmas, a couple weeks ago, Emily got me, uh, she got me a new Bible. And I know it probably shocks you that a pastor got a Bible uh, for Christmas. Um, that's, uh doesn't happen every year, but this is, uh, this is one that I've, I've been wanting for, for a while. And um, so every Bible that I, I've preached from for the last 15 years, on the inside cover, I've, I've written down the same uh, few quotes because they are quotes and they're words that just get me fired up. And they get me excited, they stir my emotion, they stir my affection, and, and make me want to take risks for God and attempt great things for God, as as William Keery had said. And so what I want to do this morning is we, we just begin to close our time out um, today. I, I want to read some words from some of the most influential figures in all of church history. People who fully understood what it meant to leverage the entirety of their lives for the advance of the gospel. The first comes from Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was martyred as a missionary advancing the gospel to the nations and he wrote uh, in a journal on my birthday about three, uh, 30 years before I was born uh, these words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It is not foolish to throw the entirety of your life, a life that we cannot keep, to gain something in eternity that we cannot and never will Lose. Words of C.T. Stud, another missionary, who made it his ambition, he said, I pray that when I die, all of hell rejoices that I am no longer in the fight. Wants to be a people who live like that. Words of Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and prayed for. I'll tell you something else I read this week that really stirred me up. Uh, About a week ago, I bought David Platt's new book, Uh, Something Needs to Change. And as I was reading it this week, I was contemplating my own thoughts for this message and In the first chapter, he details a trip he took to the Himalayan mountains where he was confronted with several crushing realities. One was young girls who had been sold into sex trafficking. Another were funeral pyres of burning bodies full of people who had most likely never heard the message of the gospel and also being burdened by people dying by the thousands of preventable diseases. And as he got to the last day of his trip, of his journey, he... He just fell apart on the room, on the floor of the room he was staying in. He was broken. Just absolutely broken. And he goes on to talk about how, up until that point, he really could not remember a time that he had really just wept since his father had passed away. And so he goes on to detail just his own, his own struggles, some of, the, some of the big questions about faith that he was confronted with, the reality about, about who God is and the reality of human suffering and just how that challenged him and how it tested him. And here's what he asked in response. He asked the question, why has it been rare for me to be so moved by the needs of others that I have fallen on my face before God and wept? It makes me wonder if we've lost our capacity to weep. It makes me wonder if we have subtly, dangerously, and almost unknowingly guarded our lives, our families, and even our churches from truly being affected by God's word to us in a world of urgent spiritual and physical needs (coughs) around us. And church, I just think we have to ask ourselves this morning, have we invented, have we embraced, and are we maybe even cherishing a version of Christianity that we would never even begin to think about taking a risk for God? Have we adopted something that's so focused on our comforts and on our convenience that that accommodates our half-heartedness? And our apathy, we convince ourselves because God is grace, because God is is love. This means that I can just sort of passively engage in this as I want to. I don't know about you, but I do not want to stand before the holy sovereign God of the universe at the end of my life and say, I gave you some of it. I want to be able to say, I gave you all of it. Just to show up bruised and bloodied and battered, coming before Him saying, I have absolutely nothing to give you except for what you've given me through your Son, Jesus Christ. And when we reflect on what has been given to us from Jesus Christ, when we reflect on the fact that we are people who have been transferred from the darkness to the light, we've been brought from death to life. that God has saved us from suffering for eternity on account of our sin, that the fullness of our sin, the fullness of the wrath of God was absorbed by Jesus Christ for us on the cross. How do we look at this and do nothing in response unless we have not truly believed? So I just want to challenge us this morning as we come in to this new year, will we be a people who will sow in tears and embrace the promise that we will reap in shouts of joy? Yes, we pray for God to move in an undeniable, tangible way that, that the outside world even would look in and say, there's no other explanation except to say that God is with them. But until then, will we be faithful to sow in the tears to the spiritually fallow dry land of our country, of our community, even in our own hearts, lives, and church. So so this is my, my challenge to us that this morning is when we just begin uh, this first Sunday of the year. We're coming together for the first Sunday of the year. Is uh, We're just going to close here with an extended time of prayer and, and intercession. Here's What's going to happen here in just a moment is uh, I'm going to challenge every person in this room uh, that if you are physically able, we're going to have to move around a little bit to do this, but we're going to get on our knees uh, and we're going to go before the Lord in prayer. And, and I know for some of us, this is going to be awkward and this is going to be weird. And if anything, that, that's an indictment of our own spiritual condition. It's, it's something's wrong with us as, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, if it's weird for us to get on our knees and go before the Lord in prayer. So we want our physical posture here to reflect the posture of our hearts going into New Year. We want to be a people who are desperate, who are pleading, who are begging for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so we're going to do this through, through a few phases of repentance and thanksgiving um, intercession. I'll I'll give us a short lead into each one. I'll close this our time together before we close uh, in further communion prayer uh, and worship. So uh, I just want to challenge. T- take a moment. You may have to move around a little bit. Might have to move the chairs around a little bit. That's okay. I want to challenge everyone. see to move into the aisles or to the outside of the room. That's perfectly fine if you're physically able. Let's get on our knees before the Lord and ask Him to. Come. time of repentance. And so that's where I want us to start this morning. This is just going to be between you and the Lord. ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to search your life. To reveal sin, to reveal habits, to reveal actions. Anything that we've done that's to his word that separates us from him, that keeps us from seeing him and knowing him. Maybe the same agreement for him this morning is our, our apathy, our indifference. we we'll just confess that to the Lord and ask him to give us a heart. into the place of thanksgiving. If you've forgotten the goodness of the Lord in your life. If you forgotten what He's done for you, saving you. you. Just go before the Lord this morning and ask him to restore your joy. To ignite a new zeal and passion and fervor for his name. Glory. Thank him for what he's given in his son Jesus Christ. So this one points to a time of intercession. Who are you burdened for this morning? Who is in your sphere of influence? Is in your family? Is in your workplace? In your school? In your neighborhood? Who needs to hear the gospel? to the Lord for them on their behalf, that hearts and minds would be open to believe, to know, to be saved. There's so many burdens of brokenness in our world, there's so many who lack access to the gospel, to basic needs to survive, coming here this morning with the threat of war, looting, Biden, intercede for your family, intercede for your friends, intercede for our country, intercede for our world. Ask the Lord to be present, to heal, to restore. Father, come to you this morning, and God, I confess to you that there is so much pride in my heart, there's so much that resists what we're doing right now, there's so much apathy and indifference that I have allowed to live in my heart, Lord, and I just confess that to you, Father, and I repent. And for every person in this room, Lord, will you give us a renewed and sealed and passion? God, don't ever let us forget what you've done for us. God, when you convict us, will you give us a burden about not being burdened? Will you shake us out of apathy and indifference? Lord, will you move us from a place where we, we tolerate lukewarmness and will we become of people who burn for you, for your name and for your glory. God, we make it our chief ambition and passion above all else in this life to cause your name to be remembered in all generations so the nations will praise you forever and ever. God, pray for people within this church, family, Lord. Will you raise up Men and women, will you raise up teenagers, will you raise up children from within our own walls, Father, who are going to devote themselves to taking the gospel to this community? Father, will you raise up some who will be burdened for the nation, for those who have never heard your name, will we as a people come behind them and support them and pray for them, resource them, send them out as they fulfill your word and your mission? Father, our hearts are burdened with the loss of this world. God, never let the realities of eternity escape us. Don't allow us to, to shut off our minds to the brokenness of the world that surrounds us, Lord. It help us to be as people who have been saved, who have been called out of darkness, to rush into the light with the hope of your gospel. That every single man, woman, and child in this community would have more than ample opportunity to hear the message of the gospel and respond. And Lord, we do pray pray plead, rend the heavens. Tear them open. Father, pour out the Holy Spirit on your people. Remind us that you are building your church, that the very gates of hell will not overcome it. God, that despite our inadequacy, in spite of our failure, you always preserve a remnant for yourself. And so, Father, help us to be a people who are passionate for your name. In your glory. We ask you to surround us with others who are passionate for your name and your glory, Lord, that our lives would burn as a consuming fire for Jesus Christ, that we would be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, that we would not be conformed to this world, that our minds would be transformed by Your Word. Father, fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to fulfill your mission. Help us to be obedient to every word that you have commanded. Lord, we lay our lives before you. We have nothing to bring except that you've given to us. So Father, we lay it all down for Jesus who gave all of himself for us. Be glorified through this church. Guard our hearts and guard our minds. And help us keep the main thing the main thing. To make your name great. And to make you famous in our world. I ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said. Amen.